0: To become yourself. Welcome Open to Creating heart. a Buzz About Open Health podcast heart. with Paula Carnell. Hello, welcome to this episode of my podcast, Creating a Buzz About Health. And I wanted to share a, it was an impromptu talk that I had with some guests who had um, arrived at the Newt and they were having tours. And they'd had a bee safari with Kerry, who is our Asian hornet expert. And they had asked some questions and then I had walked into the Byzantium. And so Kerry introduced me and then they sort of approached me with their questions. Now, this group of gardeners had actually come from South Africa and I've visited the Cape a few times, so I've got a a rough idea of the agricultural systems and, and some of the problems with bees and issues that they're facing. Now, the question was, what do we do with the invasive paper wasp that was coming into South Africa? Now, you may be listening to this in other parts of the world and you might be thinking, well, oh, okay, what's paperwork got to do with me? It's not relevant, you know, I'll skip this episode. However, I had an extraordinary experience. And I suppose some people call it getting in the flow. And when I was an artist, I used to experience this a lot, you know, to actually paint, well, you've got to be in the flow. And I would also often refer to it as sort of channeling, it's almost like, you haven't painted the picture, or I hadn't painted the picture. It had come through me. And yet the paintings were finished in my head. And then, you know, when the right environment, everything was right, when I had the right space, when my studio was set up, by the time I'd developed the right technical skills, I could then download the finished paintings that were in my head and and produce them into finished artwork. And I often find I have a similar experience when I'm speaking. I do like to prepare a talk, and I do prepare talks, and I have slides, but I feel sometimes my best talks are when I'm in flow, when I'm able to have a moment or two to contemplate what what the question is and what the answer might be. And when you create that space, I believe it's like collective consciousness or higher wisdom or whatever – It is allowed to come through and i become a vessel for that or a messenger for that so when i speak in this way and i like to think that quite a lot of my podcasts are are, are very similar i get into flow i've i've got a theme um and there's a few points that i want to raise but basically i just see what comes through and as i chat other ideas come through and then i try and keep it into a, a manageable amount of time Anyway, the question was, so you may think this isn't relevant, but however, the message and the response I gave to that group, I feel is very relevant to all of us. So do hold on there. And it is connected to health and well-being, but it's stepping back, stepping back, stepping back and looking at a more holistic view of our health and well-being. So the question was, what do we do about paper wasps in South Africa? Now, my Quick answer, my short answer was, well, Arne, who is the beekeeper at Babylon he is doing his PhD on the paper wasp. And so he's the first person that you should ask. And they replied, yeah, we've asked him and he's still researching it. So we just don't know. And the paper wasps are becoming a real concern because they are an invasive species. So they don't have a predator in um, South Africa. And they're attacking bees and they're killing bees. Now, many beekeepers across the world will say, oh, wasps kill bees. We don't like um, we don't like wasps and therefore we can justify eradicating wasps. Also, when I was in um, Cocos Keeling Island in the um, Indian Ocean, I also experienced the invasive species and there they had an Asian paper wasp. And that was everywhere. And it is really frightening. You start to see one nest, you know, on a tree. And then you look around and there's another 15 nests on the same tree. So they're not as territorial. They're they're mass. They are everywhere. And who knows how many queens each nest produces. So if you have one nest and it produces 30 or 40 queens, then sometimes in the same season, if you've got a, a tropical or a warm environment, But if not the second season, you've then got 30 more colonies. So and without predators and if they're in the right climate for them, they just thrive. So what do we do? And we also have a similar issue with Himalayan balsam. So that's a plant that has invaded the British Isles and we can find it all along riverbanks. But there's not a straightforward answer. So I'm going to share with you how I responded, but also. The questions we we need to ask and the issues we need to address. So when they said, well, Arne is still researching, so what do we do? It's a real problem. It's a real problem for farmers. It's a problem for gardeners and it's a problem for beekeepers. So when we have a problem, I like to step back and think, okay, what could the problem be solving? What do wasps do? And I like to see wasps as the rubbish collectors of nature. They will clear up disease. They will clear up anything that is debris. Um, In my herbal medicine studies, there's an amazing phrase by Lindlar, who's written three of our textbooks, and it's morbid matter. And morbid matter perfectly describes this sort of debris. We have morbid matter in our in our bodies. If you have a scar and the body has to clean up the wound and heal it, you'll get dead tissue that will be floating around in your body, and that's morbid matter. And that morbid matter needs to be cleansed out. And if our bodies are working effectively, then we have these um, macrophages. We have these cells that will literally sort of chomp around a bit like Pac-Man, and they'll just eat up the morbid matter. They'll process it, and then it will come out through various excretionary systems that we have so through sweat or through urine or or through faeces so our body is constantly getting rid of morbid matter and there is a belief particularly in naturopathy that we become ill when there is a build-up of morbid matter so something is not working in your body that's not cleansing out or removing the morbid matter and just like if you have your um, you know, perhaps you'll sink if you if you have a lot of food that goes down. You know, waste food, um, and it will eventually plug up your pipes because the water can't flow through. And so then you've got to go in and just dig out all the morbid matter—so rotting leaves, bits of food, whatever—it'll be rotting away. So our bodies are very similar to that, and also our environment. So if wasps are in a place where they're thriving. There must be lots of morbid matter that they can feast on so when you consider that and you look at the cape the cape of south africa what could be the morbid matter and how does that relate to bees now bees are often one of the first um, indicators that wasps have got out of hand because the beekeepers start losing lots of colonies So there's obviously something that's going on with the bees that the wasps are able to attack. Now, with my own beekeeping practice, I've changed the management of my bees to make it harder for the wasps to attack them. But instead of putting up grills or electric fences or anything like that to keep the wasps out, it's a case of, well, what would the bees do to defend themselves against the wasps? And Propolis, the defender of the city, is the main thing and so the bees will create propolis this sticky resin which they will seal up the entrances of their hives to prevent predators coming in so if they have this propolis why are the wasps getting in well With management of bees and particularly the management of Apis mellifera, the western honeybee, which is used for pollination because the way that the crops are grown destroys the other species of bees. Honeybees have been bred not to produce propolis because as well as pollination from honeybees, bees are farmed for honey. And if the bees have stuck the hives together with propolis, it makes honey production really, really difficult. So you have mass-produced, mass-bred, farmed honeybees who, on the one hand, are not able to produce propolis. On the second hand, have all their nutritious food taken away from them, so they're fed sugar. And then they are in a stress state because they're being moved around for pollination or they're being repeatedly opened to check that they are okay. So you have a species of wild insects that have been bred to be less able to cope in the wild, less able to defend themselves. And then you think, well, no wonder the wasps can get in. So you have this morbid matter of sick bees that need cleaning up. So that's on the one hand. And then you look at, well, what is the whole environment? Why now? What what has changed? well when i went to south africa in 2018 i was speaking to farmers and what was interesting that was changing there were two big things there was a lot of removal of eucalyptus trees and because that's an invasive species. And also it's a fire risk because of the high resin content. This was very upsetting for beekeepers because the eucalyptus was a major nectar flow. The bees loved it. it. You know, One tree can provide the equivalent of five acres worth of forage. So trees are very valuable. So that was very upsetting. But also what was happening was because the farming industry in South Africa is not subsidized by governments, it has to be profitable. And unfortunately, there is this movement towards industrial mass produced monocultures in the belief that that's the best way for profit. And speaking to farmers, it's not about quality. It's now about volume. It's about yield. So we can see this with strawberries. You know, if you have a a small locally grown strawberry farm, you have this amazing flavour. You know, your mouth waters just by looking at the strawberries. And yet when you buy a strawberry that's been mass produced and is available year round, it has no taste, no flavor, but it creates more profit for the farmer and for the supermarkets who are selling them because the yield is increased. And what was happening in South Africa was because of the climate, because of the environment, because of the land availability, there was a big movement towards fruit growing. And a lot of the fruit the way it was grown because it was in monocultures because it was bush orchards or it was um you know a lot of blueberries cranberries the kind of fruit that you can harvest and instantly freeze and it can be shipped all around the world they need a lot of chemical treatments and it's the chemical treatments that weaken they destroy the solitary bees and the bumblebees but then they also weaken the honeybees, because the honeybees are then have have to be brought in to pollinate these crops. And so the honeybees, without their propolis, without their good nutrition, um, with the stress of being moved around, they then become morbid matter themselves. They're feeding on crops, they're pollinating crops that are poisoning them. So their bodies are sick and diseased. And then Nature knows this. Nature can see there's an imbalance. and It's like, well, we've got to clean up these diseased bees. So then in come all these wasps who have an appetite and ability to process all this mismatch of nature. So I stand there and I share this. And gradually, the group from one or two people who were interested in my answer, gradually the whole group come forward and they start asking other questions. And they're like, gosh, we haven't thought about this. And what can we do as gardeners? Now, these are all women of my age and older. So they're all past middle age. We're all over 50. We're all postmenopausal. Um, and as I say, our kids have grown up. Many of them have left home our husbands can now look after themselves or we're on our own and that can create quite a force, quite a powerful force because a woman who has spent much of her life in service to her children, to her career, to her husband, to her family, to her community and then she can get through the menopause which is a massive transition, a massive natural transition for women to go through. And I love the comparison with um, the rage. You know, we love to look after our kids. We love to look after our husbands. Everybody loves to serve. Everyone loves to look after people, but only for a certain amount of time. It's like this adage that, you know, good guests only stay three nights because you can you can love people and take care of them for three nights in your home, but any longer than that. And it's like, mm, I want my space back. Or, you know, I don't quite like the way that you're putting the towels or when you're getting up to make cups of tea anyway so this rage builds up it's a suppressed rage that we're not meant to feel because we're meant to love our children we're meant to love giving we're meant to love our communities and you know creating all these wonderful caring environments but as a human being as a woman we all have a purpose there's something that we know we're here to do we're here to fulfill and it's after the menopause it's after your children have left home it's after you've you've had all this stress of how do you pay the mortgage how do you look after your family how do you keep your home suddenly women are liberated now that rage has to come out and that's what the um the hot flushes are it's that heat, it's emerging, it's coming out. Now if we suppress that rage, if we suppress that need to express ourselves, that's when without a purpose, without a mission, depression can really kick in. And this is what we need to address. it's a it's a huge, it is a global issue, and I feel women have a part in addressing this. I find a lot of women understand what I'm saying about an imbalance in nature it just makes sense they get it they don't have to see the scientific proof they don't have to see all the papers they don't need any more evidence they can see it they can feel it and they know it the next step is well what do you do when you've had that knowing and just like the menopause if you suppress these hot flushes if you suppress that rage it becomes toxic it becomes its own morbid matter that needs cleaning up So we have to let that go we have to clean it up we have to be in a position that we can live our mission and fulfill our purpose when i was in bhutan and since then i've had many quotes from buddhist monks and i think the dalai lama is included in this that they believe the fate of the world lies in the western women and the western women are the women who have privilege. We've grown up in privilege on many levels. We've been protected. We've been supported. We have financial security. We have freedom. We have knowledge. We have education. And so when you have a woman who has had 50 or 60 years of that, that makes her very able to be in a position to change to change not just her own surroundings but to have a major impact on the world and that's what i think is our duty and when we step away from that we we are just distracting we're thinking oh yeah i'll do my garden oh i'll make cream teas oh i'll organize a fete or i'll and i i don't mean to minimize any of those things but they are distractions especially if you know there is something more that you can do or there is something more that your body is calling you to do, that you're drawn to do. If you see news of fish washing up in the ocean and it really tugs at your heartstrings and, and it enrages you, that is your calling. That is when you need to make a difference. And I was very privileged to be able to speak frankly and openly to this group of privileged and educated women who are ready to take on the world and what a force they will be. And this is what I love. This is what I love about my work. And then these women can join with the wasps in cleaning up the morbid matter. They can join with the bees who are trying to tell us, look what's happening. You know, we're being cleaned up now, but you're the next layer of morbid matter. These are the women who can make changes, maybe through their gardens to start with, by refusing to use chemical treatments, by suddenly becoming more aware of all the different bee species they have, by being more conscious with their shopping, with their purchasing. These are the women who can afford to buy chemically free grown food, organic produce, regenerative farming produce. These are the women who can make the change. And the things that are upsetting them and upsetting the natural balance, they're all fueled and funded by our money. So when these Buddhist monks say, oh, it's the Western women, it's not the Western women are going to take up arms and, you know, have our, our spears and be like Amazonian goddesses and warriors and charge across the planet, killing all the baddies. It's a case of the Western woman has the wealth of the world, has the control, has the the power to influence those around us who also have the money, the power, the influence. And therefore, I really believe strongly that it is the purpose of women of privilege to take a stand, to make that change, to create the world that we want for our children and our grandchildren. So what began is a very simple question about what do we do about the invasive wasps? We have to clean up the morbid matter. That's what's attracting them. If there's no longer any sick bees, the wasps will starve and they'll disappear. This is what we need to look and to address many of the problems in our world. We need to look at what is feeding the monsters, what is feeding the things we're most scared of. And then on the other hand, I want to talk about Himalayan balsam because this has another perspective. So Himalayan balsam is these sort of mauvey flowers and and you see them along riverbanks. And we have loads of them around here. And beekeepers love it because at the end of August, when there perhaps isn't much else for bees to forage on, they can forage on the Himalayan balsam. And so it tops up their stores. It gets them through the winter. It's really, really good. Now, the problem is that landowners don't like Himalayan balsam because it clogs up their rivers. It's on the riverbanks and they want to clear it, but because there's so much of it, it's very expensive to have a man with a scythe or, you know, you can't just clip it back. You need to blast it, you know, nuke it, which is a very um, historically masculine way of, of cleaning things up is just nuke it. Not thinking of the consequences of the chemicals needed to destroy something. And so that becomes an issue for beekeepers because the bees love The Himalayan balsam. But if the Himalayan balsam is sprayed with toxins, it can still be flowering for a couple of days, producing nectar. In fact, producing more nectar because it's dying and it's going, I need to spread my seed, otherwise, my species will die out. And so the bees will be foraging on this poison nectar, which then in turn brings the poisons back to the hives and kills the bees, which provides forage for wasps and hornets. So if we step back from that and think okay well why is Himalayan balsam thriving in an environment it didn't used to thrive in and what is its actions and I had the most wonderful lecture I attended last year with a botanist called Peter Yo he was so inspiring and he shared that he sees plants as the skin of the planet and when there is a wound on the planet the plants want to repopulate it, they have to grow in, and then they can heal, they can heal. So if you look at a, well, look at Chernobyl, how it was just all concrete, um, you know, this pristine, masculine, you know, human, big concrete area. And then after this incredible explosion, which created so much destruction, both physical, practical destruction, but also a lot of morbid matter as it was killing life around it and that life was destroyed. But now, in a relatively short period of time, the plants have healed that wound. A gaping, awful, sore, throbbing wound has now been healed. And as scientists explore and study this amazing process of nature they're finding that some of these plants have abilities to absorb and neutralize the radioactivity and the toxins that are so damaging to human life so plants are evolving or they already have They are they already prepared to clean up whatever destruction we try and do that's a whole other question So when you look at Himalayan balsam, why is it thriving in the British Isles now? And why is it around the riverbanks? Well, what is it doing? The roots actually go down and they, they narrow the rivers, which restrict the flow of the water. And where do rivers flow? They flow out to the sea. So you have fresh water inland that's now being dammed. It's being held on the land rather than flowing out to sea. Now we like to see a river flowing because we think that's healthy, but ironic that I'm sat here on a rainy day, but we are having hotter, drier seasons. And what do we want with hotter, drier seasons? We wanna hold on to the water. We wanna hold on to that moisture. And so Himalayan balsam is a gift. It's actually damming the rivers to retain our water, to keep the land moist. So should we be looking in that sense that invasive species are not something that we need to put fences up against, but maybe they are a process of the planet changing, of the earth, of nature retaining balance. As we unbalance the earth, nature is resetting that balance. And that can change our perspective on everything from weeds in our garden, to refugees at our borders. We really need to look and step back and ask the questions, why? Why? Why not? And then, thank you. I think I've said enough. <laughs> I've said enough for the moment. And maybe this is something for you to have a have a think about, have a ponder about. And I'd love to know, your thoughts. But the more I delve into this, the more the question why and then why not and then thank you seem to be the answers. So on that note, thank you very much for listening. If you've enjoyed this, please share it. Please write a comment somewhere. Let me know what your thoughts are. I'd love to know which invasive species are worrying you. And how perhaps what I've shared has changed your perspective? Has it given you a new insight into how you can live in harmony in your environment? So goodbye for now. And until next time, keep on creating a buzz about health. This podcast has been produced and edited by the wonderful Bee Brook, And the music was created especially for me by Rhea. Thank you very much. You have to become yourself. Join us Open next time on heart. Creating a Buzz Open About Health heart. podcast with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.